always do that. It happens every time. Good morning. If you want to call it that, I don't know. I mean, can you believe that I'm up here for the second Sunday in a row? I mean, it's, and it's all because Thomas was on vacation this week. Randy's healing from surgery, so that puts me up two weeks in a row. And do you have any idea how difficult that is? I mean, it really cuts into your social life. Um, you know, focuses on message and all this stuff. <clears throat> Just irritating. And then there's my car. You know, my car, I find it like I got to get my oil changed again. Apparently, that's something you have to do every so often. And, and, and I got to get the tires rotated. Who's got the time and money for that? I don't, you know. And then Buster, my dog Buster, he jumped up on me this week, and his nails are so sharp. They so need trimming and stuff, and i got to take him to the vet to do that. I can't do it myself because he's a crazy dog, but he's just these two big gashes down my leg. I mean, I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital. It was just so, well, it didn't really bleed, but it was some scratches. And, um, and don't even get me started on this weather. I mean, this weather, it's either pouring down rain or it's stinking hot. Can't even go outside without just dripping wet, you know. So this is the last message in this series, Rise Above It, and thank God. Thank God. And today we're talking about rising above negativity. And I'm telling you, some of you out there, you really need this message. <laughs> I might snort. <laughs> oh, that's so hard to keep a straight face through. But isn't it funny, isn't it funny how it, how it is that whenever we can be listening to a message, but we can think about the person who needs to hear the message, not us who's listening to it, but, but we think about someone else who needs to hear this message. Um, it's so easy. It's kind of harder to identify our own need with a lot of messages. I heard about this older man, <clears throat> and he had struggled to get his wife to realize that she had a hearing problem and really needed a hearing aid. So he actually went to see a hearing specialist to get some help with this, and the specialist told him to do the following. He said, when you go home, just as you step inside the door, just say, you know, what's for dinner? Ask your wife what's for dinner. And then when she doesn't answer, move closer into the house, not all the way to her, but closer to her, and just ask again, what's for dinner? And then when she doesn't answer again, then just go right up next to her, just right by her ear, ask one more time, what's for dinner? And then the specialist says, just do this, and then come back and see me and bring her along with you. So the man got home, did just as he was instructed, stepped right inside the door. He says, honey, what's for dinner? No response. So he moves closer into the house toward her. Darling, what's for dinner? No response. Then he moves right up next to her, goes into the kitchen, puts his arm around her and right next to her ear. He says, sweetie pie, what's for dinner? And his wife responds, for the third time I said meatloaf. Rise above negativity. The point is we all need this message today. For some of us, negativity, it's just kind of become this way of life for us. It has molded and shaped our lives. For others, maybe it's a struggle that we have from time to time. We know we can get in those periods, those seasons of negativity, those days of negativity. But for all of us, for all of us, without a doubt, that it, it, this is something that we are vulnerable to. We human beings, when left to ourselves, we have this strong tendency to gravitate toward the lowest common denominator, some form of negativity. None of us, no one is immune to it. 
So I say, how about we begin this message today by making this our prayer. And each one of our, the desire of our heart, may it be this, from Psalm 139, as the psalmist said, search me, O God, search me and know my heart. See if there be any hurtful way in me at all, any hurtful way, and then lead me in the way everlasting, your good, your good, good way. So now that we've kind of prepared to focus on ourselves this morning, let's take a look at what today's psychology says are some of the signs and symptoms of negativity. I found this online article that gave seven signs and symptoms of people who suffer from negativity. And look at this list. Let it sink in. They say things like, oh, it's too good to be true, too good to be true. They dwell on the past. They judge others. They don't accept compliments. That's an interesting one, isn't it? They have trouble maintaining relationships. They're focused on the problem, not the solution. And they're not excited about the future. And then I found this other article uh, online that expands the list even more. So look at these. They always worry. They're worriers. They enjoy secrecy. Interesting. They're pessimists. They have very thin skin. They, can't, they complain a lot. They never move outside of their comfort zone. They love the word but. They're underachievers. They become energy vampires. That's quite a term, isn't it? And they put a negative spin on good news. That's quite an interesting list of signs and symptoms, isn't it? And, and it really makes you kind of stop and think and take a little bit of inventory, doesn't it? With the New Testament, the ancient scriptures that were written after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they talk a lot about negativity. They talk about how harmful it is, and especially to a community, uh, a community of people who are seeking to follow Christ and to share his love and truth with others, a church, how damaging and destructive it can be to a church. Well, today I want to zero in on just this one particular portion of scripture that addresses this issue of negativity it does it in a very interesting way, I think. It uses some interesting words. When Paul wrote a letter to the Christ followers that were living in Galatia at that time, he said this to them. He said, when you follow your own wrong inclinations, what are our wrong inclinations? That inclination toward self-preservation, self-promotion, self-gratification, taking care of myself. When you, um, when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce complaints and criticisms. Complaints and criticisms. criticisms. You know, negativity, it's kind of this great big broad topic, but I really think that most forms of negativity fall into these two categories, complaints and criticisms. So let's kind of unpack each one of these. Let's start with complaining. Complaining is how I started this message, right? And please know that I just made up all those complaints. None of them are true to how I feel, okay? But let's unpack what this form of negativity is about. You see, Complaining is negativity that is directed towards circumstances and situations. It's a feeling that just things aren't fair. Things shouldn't be so hard. You know, we complain because we think things should be a different way. And we're just ticked that they're not. Sometimes our complaining, it takes a very strong tone. It comes out in these very strong, offensive ways, harsh words, with, with anger and frustration. And, and we may say something like, I am sick and tired of. Fill in the blank, right? And it's clear to everyone that we are not happy. But sometimes our complaining, it comes out in that more subtle way, sort of soft-spoken and impassive way. And it kind of takes on more of that poor me tone. 
you know, a little bit of self-pity, you know, oh, my car broke down again, you know, my air conditioning isn't working, oh, I've got so much to do, I'm so busy, if something bad's going to happen in life, it's going to happen to me, I mean, just, that's my life, you know, and it's sort of subtle and soft, just like the more loud and angry form of complaining, it is just as clear to everyone that we are not happy. Both of them are sending this message, I am not happy with my life. I don't like it the way it is. And you see, at the, form, at the root of this form of negativity, complaining, it's this, expectations. We complain because we expect things to be different. We expect life to be different. It shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be unfair. So many bad things shouldn't happen to me. We expect something that God has never promised us in this life. You see, he promises a life to come that is going to be perfect. It's going to be free of pain, free of struggle. But for right now, Jesus told us very clearly that in this sin-sick world where people are out of harmony with their creator, and, and they're living to please and protect themselves. This is what we can expect in this sin-sick world. John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. That's what you can count on. That's what I can count on. Complaining, it's this negativity that's directed at our circumstances, and it's rooted in expectations, and it's communicating loud and clear, I am not happy with my life. So now let's look at criticizing, and let's unpack that a bit. <clears throat> Criticizing, it's even a more harsh uh, form of negativity. And the reason is, is because it's directed at people. It attacks and it hurts and it wounds other people. And it comes out in many ways. The scripture shows us, that here, here's a uh, sampling of the things that the scripture says about different forms of criticizing, being critical people. Galatians 5, instead of showing love, among yourselves, you're always critical and catty. Catty, that's when you make that deliberate little remark that's just meant to hurt somebody. It almost sounds like a positive thing, but it's saying something hurtful, spiteful. And Peter, don't insult anyone to pay them back for insulting you. So insults, and it talks about sharp-tongued sarcasm, hurtful things. In Proverbs, cutting remarks is another form of that. Ephesians, harsh words. And then 2 Corinthians puts several together, quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, and gossip. Gossip, all of these are forms of being critical, of criticizing. Negativity that expresses itself against other people. Negativity that seeks to tear someone else down. And sometimes it's in, it's in your face, it's an insult, it's a cutting remark, it's sarcasm. Sometimes it's that more subtle approach, a catty remark or a word of gossip, but no less insidious. At the root of this form of negativity, criticizing is this, compensation. You know, it's about finding fault in others in order to feel better about ourselves. Pointing out someone else's flaws or weaknesses, it somehow elevates me. It, it just makes me feel not so bad about myself at your expense. So whether it's in a loud, harsh form of criticizing like slander or it's in that subtle, passive way like gossip, both of them are communicating a message and the message is this, I am not happy with me. I'm not happy with me. 
and criticizing you, cutting you down, pointing out your flaws in some way, somehow, well, that just makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Here's what's really crazy. What do we gain from this? What do we gain from this negativity? I mean, what do we gain from complaining about our circumstances and criticizing others? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, even if we have legitimate reasons to complain, even if we have, say, serious health issues, or we've lost our job, or we've had a horrible childhood growing up, and it just wasn't fair, even if there are legitimate reasons to complain, what good does it do us? You know, how does it benefit us? Like Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? It's not. Matter of fact, research, research shows how negativity is very harmful to our physical well-being. You see, every emotion that we have, it stimulates a chemical response in our bodies. And positive emotions, they cause the production of these feel-good feel hormones like serotonin and dopamine. But negative emotions, on the other hand, they cause the production of stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. And these hormones are responsible for things like this, headaches, upset stomach, elevated blood pressure, chest pain, problems sleeping. And we all know that if you continue with any one of those things, they can lead to further damage to the body. So, man, if we suffer from any of these things, I'm telling you, we would be wise to take a very honest, deep look into our soul and just be certain that the underlying factor isn't this problem of negativity. But as important as our health is, there's something that's even more serious when it comes to the, the damage that complaining and criticizing can do. You see, in this series of messages, we've sort of laid a, a foundation for the whole series that goes like this. We've talked about how our perspective, you know, how it is that we see and interpret things, how that drives our behavior. It determines what we do. And it's what we do over and over again, our habits and our practices, that determine who we become, the kind of person we become. So if we have a perspective of life, one of, our, of ourselves, that is skewed and it causes us to think, I'm not happy with my life. I'm not happy with me. Well, that drives us then toward complaining and criticizing. And if that continues, if that becomes the pattern and way of our lives, what do we become? Very unattractive people. Very unattractive people. Do you know who this is? Anybody know who that is? That is not one of my dogs. I know I put my dogs up there live, but that is not one of my dogs. This is Jaja, a nine-year-old English bulldog who was just named the winner of the 2018 World's Ugliest Dog Contest. Yay, Jaja. Her owner said that the impressive tongue comes from her almost horizontal upper teeth and heavily pronounced underbite, which make it difficult to keep the pink fleshy mass in her mouth. The article talked about how kids actually go up and just shake Jaja's tongue, you know, and Jaja, uh, she loves it. Well, while it's sweet, while it's very sweet that there's a contest to celebrate ugly dogs, and I know because I've had my share, so I think it's very sweet, here's what I know. Nobody's celebrating our unattractiveness, you know. Nobody is applauding our ugly negativity that demonstrates itself in complaining and criticizing nobody. We aren't winning any contests for who can be the ugliest with our negative words and negative attitude. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite is actually true. People don't want to be around us. Just don't want to be around us. 
You see, if we're those people who are always complaining, people don't want to be around us simply because we're just not enjoyable people to be around. I mean, we kind of bring everyone down. We bring the conversation down. We're like this wet blanket. We suck all the life out of a room. People want to avoid being around complainers because we're just not enjoyable people. We're not fun. And if we're ones who tend toward this criticizing, being critical all the time, well, people don't want to be around us for a different reason. They don't want to be around us because we're not safe people. We're not safe. You can never be sure what hurtful or offensive comments going to come out of the mouth of, of a critical person, a very hurtful comment. So talk about the harmful effects of negativity, complaining and criticizing. Man, negativity can cause us to become isolated, disconnected, and very lonely people. Like Francis. Like Francis. I met Francis in the year 2012 at her funeral. She was 93 year old, three years old when she died. 93. You'd think a sweet old lady, 93-year-old lady, lived a good, long, beautiful life. Now she goes to rest to be with the Lord. Her great-granddaughter's connected here at FCF, and she came to me when Francis died, and she asked me to do her funeral. But she warned me that it would be difficult and challenging, and I wondered, well, how so, you know? And then she went on to explain that Francis, well, she was a bitter, angry, negative woman. Not a very nice woman at all. But still, you know, I had done my share of funerals before, some really difficult ones, and I thought, it couldn't be that bad. You know, I'll be able to, to talk to the family and pull out some stories uh, from family members, and, and I can come up with something good to say. You know, it couldn't be that bad. There's got to be something good to say. Well, Francis had two daughters, ten grandchildren, twenty grand, great-grandchildren, and seven great-great-grandchildren. Not one of them would talk to me. Not a one. Not one of them wanted to share anything with me because none of them had anything good or positive to say about Francis. There was this one man named John. He was actually the husband of one of Francis's ten grandchildren. And he gave me a story to share just, the, just so that something that could be said at her funeral of, of some kind of a personal fashion so he wrote up this story about the first time Francis had taken him to the horse races in Charlestown because horses and racing was one of um, Francis's favorite things to do. He wrote how she picked him up in her sports car, how she gave him the latest racing form and instructed him how to read it. When they arrived, they were escorted to her VIP table in the air-conditioned portion of the stands. And before selected races, she would give John the nod on which horse to bet on and he would place the bets for her. He said every bet that Francis made won, helping pay for the delicious meal that they enjoyed together. And then he closed by saying this, please keep happy thoughts of Francis whenever you see a horse race. It was one of her biggest passions. That was it. That was the nicest thing anybody could say about this 93-year-old woman. How does that happen? How does someone end up like that? I mean, with nothing good for their family, nothing good that they can say about them as they lay them to rest at their end of life. It's a life that's been molded and shaped by negativity. That's how. 
And here's a thing that was really interesting. I also learned about this family from the person who went here to, goes here at FCF. She said there was just it was a difficult family altogether. There was division in the family. There was strife. There was conflict. There was just all kinds of stuff in this family. How do you think that happened? Trickle-down effect of negativity. It just spread and carried on throughout that family. So stinking sad. Listen to these words from the great writer C.S. Lewis, a man who was once an atheist, became a Christ follower. And he says this. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all of your innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. What's he mean by that? Heavenly creature, hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and even with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. But to be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to the one state or the other. You see, folks, our character, who we are becoming, it's not a static thing. It doesn't stop at some point in life. It progresses throughout our lives, who we are becoming. And it's, so it's constantly changing. And every day it's moving. It's being molded and shaped by the way that we think, by the choices that we make, by the things that we do, and even by the things that we say. So we're either becoming more like the person that we were created to be, a beautiful and loving person in harmony with our creator, with each other, and with ourselves, or we're moving further and further from that person that we were created to be. We're becoming unattractive, unkind people in a state of loneliness and isolation, disconnected from our creator, disconnected from other people, even our family, left all alone with our miserable selves, like Francis when she died at age 93. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? I mean, why is it that we use this gift of words God has given us? Why do we use our words to complain? Why do we use our words to criticize? Well, Jesus gives us some serious and helpful insight into understanding our words. In the Gospel of Matthew, it records Jesus teaching this powerful truth. Jesus said, the mouth speaks the things that are in the heart. The things that are in the heart. Our negativity, it isn't a speech problem. It isn't a behavioral problem. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. So what is this heart problem that we have? What is wrong with us? I've shared many times before in messages that before every message I ever give, I sit down with Randy in his office. I plop down there a good hour probably, and we just talk about the message. And he asked me what I'm thinking, what I've been praying about, what I've been reading, and so forth. And I share with him where, where I'm going in the direction. And then he shares with me his insights. You know, his insights that come from decades of studying uh, God's word, the scriptures, uh, decades of leading a local church, being a pastor, and so forth, and then just his own life experience. So he shares that all with me. And I do a whole lot of listening, and I just try to write really, really fast, you know. So actually, this particular message, it was probably a month ago that we had sat down and talked about it. And so I had these notes. And as I mentioned last week, I've been out to Las Vegas to visit my Aunt Wanda. And, and when I was on my way back, um, 
from that trip in the airplane, I decided, well, I'm going to pull out the notes, and I'm just going to start to look and kind of get my brain flowing again on what we had talked about. I came to this one page of my notes, and in the middle was this statement that just just jumped out at me. And it was interesting because the notes around it, it didn't explain it. It didn't elaborate on it. It was just this one thing that kind of stood alone. But I think because of that, it just jumped out at me. And have you ever had that time when, when the words, some words just seemed to leap off of a page and right into your heart? And that's what happened here. What is wrong with us? Randy had said this. Negativity is the mark of someone not living loved by God. Negativity is the mark of someone not living loved by God. Now look carefully at the wording. He's not saying that negativity is the mark of someone not being loved by God. He said it's the mark of someone not living loved by God, even though he does indeed love them. Complaining and criticizing are marks of someone not living loved. In John 15, we have recorded these words from Jesus to his followers. He says, I have loved you the same way the Father has loved me, so, so do what? Do what? Live in my love. Live in my love. The issue isn't God not loving us. The issue is us not fully receiving, embracing, and experiencing this love that he has for us. We live as if he doesn't love us, which is completely counter to what is true. Now, somebody might be thinking, oh, Kim, you must be talking about non-Christians, people who haven't made a decision to trust and follow Christ, right? Nope. I mean, I've known plenty of people in my 26 years of church work who were Christians, Christ followers, but not living in God's love. And I've been one of those people myself at times, certain seasons of my life. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, it it tells this parable, records this parable that Jesus had told. And a parable is a story with a spiritual message. And Jesus often taught people in parables. And so this is one that he has told his followers. It was about a man who had two sons. And his younger son had decided that he wanted his inheritance before his father even died. I mean, what a slap in the face. He's like, you know, I just give it to me now. I so want to get away from you. Give me my inheritance. Let me go. Let me get out of your home. The father let him go and gave him his inheritance in advance. And so the young son, he went off and he wasted the money on all kinds of just partying. And he eventually ran out of money. He became destitute and there was a famine and he was just desperate. And so the scripture says he finally came to his senses. He finally realized that his best place was back home with his father. And when he returned home, the father didn't hesitate at all to embrace him and welcome him home and celebrate his homecoming. The father was thrilled to have him back home. Now that's a beautiful picture of how our heavenly father loves us so much, no matter what we've done, no matter what. He just waits with these open and loving arms for us us to return to him, to come back home to him. But there's another son in the story, and this son is often overlooked. You see, when the younger son returned home, it says that the older son became very angry. And he wasn't so much angry at his brother, he was angry at his father. How could he welcome this son back home? What what are you doing, Dad? You're just letting him come back and you're going to even celebrate that he's home? He's angry at the father. 
And the story goes that the father went out to the son and he tried to talk to him. He says, you don't understand. I'm just so glad. He, he was lost and now he's found. He's back home. This is a good thing, son. This is a good thing. And this was the, the older son's response. He became more angry. And he says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. Really? He's been slaving for his father? Really? And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Really? The father never gave him anything? Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Here's the big spiritual point that is often missed in this parable. Neither son lived in the father's love. Neither son did. They were both unaware of how loved they truly were by their father. They didn't understand the depth of their father's love for them, and therefore they didn't experience it. They didn't live loved. They didn't live loved. One son wanted away from the home. He felt because he didn't live in the love, it didn't live in that love. And the older son, he, he was in the household, but still he did not experience it. And so he was angry and bitter at his father. They didn't live loved, even though they both were greatly loved by the father. And the same is true for you and I. You know, we may have made a decision to trust and follow Christ. We may attend church every Sunday and we may even serve in church faithfully. Yet we don't live loved. We don't live in God's love, and we suffer too from complaining and criticizing just, just like anybody else can. You see, when we live loved by God, we feel safe and secure with our Father. We, we know we don't have to do anything to, to prove our worth or earn his love. We know that we are in the hands of the one whose love is self-sacrificing as he's demonstrated through his death on a cross. We know that he's for us. He's not against us. And he, wants, he, he only wants what is our, for our best. So negativity, uh, it has no place in our lives. No room for negativity in our lives. When we live loved by God, we know, we know what it is to truly be free. Not free to indulge ourselves because we know that that will only enslave us and hurt us and cause ha uh, wreak havoc but free to love and serve others in a way that we've never known before, a beautiful and a fulfilling way that leads us to reach our full re redemptive potential as human beings. And, and therefore, negativity, it, it just, there's no room for negativity in our lives, no space for it. It's not needed. When we live love by God, we carry with us this overwhelming sense of gratitude because we see with such clarity how good our God is how much he has done for us, his incredible mercy and grace, his intervention that just continues in our lives day in and day out, all for our good. So negativity has no place in our lives. When we live loved by God, we experience this deep sense of joy and peace, even in the midst of difficult and painful circumstances, because we know God is with us. He's with us. We're not alone. He cares. He's going to take care of us. He'll give us the strength that we need, the wisdom that we need, and he will bring something good out of the pain and the struggle. He will. So negativity, complaining, criticizing, it just has no place in our lives. We don't need it. it. Serves no purpose. Are you living loved by God? As you came in this morning, would you say, could that describe you? Are you living loved by God? Living loved is really 
really important to our health and our well-being. It's really important to our growth and our development, who we're becoming. It's really important to our relationships. And that's why the Apostle Paul told the followers in Ephesus that he was praying for them in this way. Here was Paul's prayer. He says, I pray that Christ may be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. And then I love this. He says, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may, may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And then what? To experience this love for yourself. Essentially, he was saying, man, I just pray. I pray that you live love. I pray that you live loved. So where do we go from here? I mean, if we, if we struggle with negativity, complaining and criticizing, and, and it's evidence that we're not living love, what do we do about it? What can we do about it? Well, like so many other things, so many other things, it begins right here, right here. Romans 12, 2 is one of the most important verses in all the New Testament. It says, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Not just by changing your behaviors, but by renewing our minds. Change the way we think. And change always begins with the way that we think about God, about life, and about ourselves. And that's why the Apostle Paul told the Philippian followers this. He said, fill your minds with beauty and truth. Meditate on whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good. There is nothing more beautiful and true, nothing more honorable, right, pure, and good than God's love. His love. And if I'm going to live in God's love, then I've got to begin by simply thinking about God's love for me. You see, I must read about God's love in his word, in the scriptures, in the Bible. And I must choose to believe what I read. And I need to do this every day. Every day. Starting tomorrow. Just as King David wrote thousands of years ago, recorded in Psalm 43, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. That's where it all starts. Every morning, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love as I go to the scriptures and I learn and read about God's love for me. You could just start with, God, thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you so much. I know I haven't been living it, but your word says it's true, and so I'm believing it. Thank you for your unfailing love. And oh, God, show me today how to live in this unfailing love of yours. So that I can be free, free from negativity, complaining about my life and criticizing others. Free from this destructive way of living. What if that was our prayer every morning? What if? I want to close with an image of something that I hope will have a deep and profound spiritual impact on us as we live here today. Okay? It's this. Right there. Serious stuff big spiritual truth coming your way. Hang on. <laughs> Our staff officers are over in the north building. And in the upstairs area, we have this small little kitchen. And for years, I've gotten so frustrated with the condition of this kitchen. You know, how messy it would get so quickly. And the biggest problem we had was the dish drain. You know, the thing that sits next to the sink and collects dishes. 
and, and something that just seems so harmless and it even seems like it's supposed to be a helpful thing? Not the case at all. Not the case at all. You see, people were good about washing their dishes, but then they placed them on the dish drain where they remained as if they were waiting for Jesus to return. <laughs> Forever. No one ever moved the dishes from the dish drain back to the cabinet or to the drawer. So there was always just this big pile of mess. And when you needed a plate or a fork, you had to take them from the pile off the dish drain because there was nothing in the cabinets or the drawers. I'd make announcements and I'd hang signs. Please put your dishes away. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. So in January, I did the unthinkable. I threw the dish drain away. I threw it away, and let me tell you, it was nothing short of disgusting underneath those clean dishes. Ugh. So I did not buy a new dish drain. There has been no dish drain since January 1st of this year. And now people wash their dishes, and they do something crazy. You know what they do? They dry them and put them away. They do. Without any reminders, without any signs. And every time I walk in that kitchen, I just walked in there this week, and I'm just like, oh! I mean, it's like such great joy and elation over how clean and neat and orderly the kitchen is. I love it. Why? How did this happen? Because we removed the option of the dish drain. The option of the dish drain was just removed. Now, just in case you need me to spell it out, this is sort of like a little parable. So it goes like this. Negativity is the dish drain of our lives, you know. And it may seem harmless. It might even, you know, we might even think it's helpful in some way. But all it does is create this big mess in our lives that does not go away. But what if we decide today to just remove it as an option from our lives? You know, what if we decide today to remove the option of complaining about our lives? It's just, it's not an option anymore. I'm done R removing the option of complaining. And what if we decide today to definitely remove the option of criticizing others, of being a critical person? That, I'm done with it. That is no longer an option in my life. Any of those forms of criticizing, done. No longer an option. Wouldn't it be nice? to no longer have to deal with the mess that piles up in our lives from this negativity. And instead, we begin discovering what it's like to live loved by the creator of the universe. What do you say? Who's with me? Anybody? Anybody with me? Let's, let's remove the option of complaining and criticizing, and let's rise above negativity. Let's pray. Father God, how much we just thank you for this unfailing love of yours, this love that puts up with us. Um, we're a mess, and we've created messes in our lives. We're well aware of it as we sit here today. But your love doesn't fail, never fails us. Right in the midst of our mess and our ugliness, you love us, and we just thank you so much for that. But Lord, may, may today, may there be a change. May there be a new direction for each one of us. And may we just determine fully determined today that no longer is it an option to complain about life and no longer is it an option to criticize others they're off the table they're gone and now lord may we begin learning how to live in your love may we be your people 
who every day of our lives we live loved. In Jesus' name.